0: remind you again, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Now, thank you, Tony, for leading us in song. Thank you, Paul, for leading us in our communion thoughts today. And thank you again for everybody for being here. Um, I've been going through the sermon series on Ephesians 4, and we're focusing on verses 1 through 16 for the entire month of July, Lord willing. So now this is the third Week in July. So, what we've discussed so far is the first week we looked at the first three verses. In verse three, Paul tells us to make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit by the bond of peace. But if you backed up in verse two, Paul gives us the Christian virtues or characteristics that we need as individuals and as a church to pursue this unity. And then last week we looked at verses four through six where Paul uses the seven ones, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and so on and so forth, the seven ones. And we talked about how we have one God in three persons, the Trinity. And because God is one in three and completely unified, so we, reflecting God, being made in the image of God, that we should also strive to have that same type of unity And this morning we're going to move into verses 7 through 12 or 7 through 13 around there. And we're going to talk about how we're all a part of this one body, right, from verses 4 through 6. Yet we're different. We're diverse. We're not all the same and we shouldn't be. Because God has created us all uniquely and what comes along with that is we all have something to bring. We all have a gift that we're called to offer to build up the church. So naturally I think of this. What do you what do you see when you look at this picture? A man on the moon. That was one of the trick questions just Making sure you're with me on that, but I, I Googled Neil, Neil Armstrong on the moon. This is the picture that popped up, so I went with it. I'm assuming this is Neil Armstrong, but I was thinking back to 1969 when we landed on the moon, and what did Neil Armstrong say when we had over 650 million people watching on live TV? What did he say? This is one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind. What a famous quote. I mean, 650 million people were watching him when that happened, and since then, millions and millions of others have watched that footage and know that quote. But Neil Armstrong said that when he said that and when he stepped on the moon, the thing that he thought of were the 400,000 other people that it took to get him there. There's a lady named Christine Timish who wrote a book called Team Moon, and what she highlights is what Neil Armstrong was talking about is all the people that contributed to getting him, to getting one man, to getting two astronauts to step foot on the moon, and for Neil Armstrong to be able to say that. It took a lot of people contributing their gifts and their talents and their time and their energy you had mechanics and engineers, and you had soldiers, and you had seamstress who would design the spacesuits, and you had people who worked on the computers, and people who were there live, people who were checking the fuel, and the list could go on and on. There were so many people that contributed to that one event. And when I came across this example, I thought of what we're talking about here in Ephesians 4, as being one body in Christ, one church. We have this mission that God has given to us. And as a church here at Pine Tree, living in Longview, Texas, we're called to make, mature, and multiply faithful followers of Jesus. That's what we keep coming back to over and over again. But if we we really want to live out that mission and live into that mission that God has given us, it takes more than just a few people. It takes more than just a ministry staff or elders or deacons. It takes all of us, because this is God's designed plan. It takes all of us contributing our gifts that God has given us. So today in the text, as we move into verses 7 through 12, 7 through 13, around there, we're going to talk about how, yes, we have this one God, one Father. We're part of one body, yet we're very different from each other. And we have a variety of gifts. And Christ is that gift giver. I read this in the opening in the welcome, and I want to read it again. And start in verse 7 through 10. And don't get too confused, but just kind of flow with Paul as we read this. And try to get your, wrap your mind around what Paul's trying to say here. Starting in verse 7. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does that mean? But That he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the same one who ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. Paul mentions this in his letter. He quotes Psalm 68 in verse 18 And he's referring to Jesus. That's how he interprets this psalm. And basically, Jesus has ascended to heaven. And then Paul gives a little side note. By the way, in order for Jesus to ascend to heaven, he had to also descend, which means the incarnation, Christ becoming a part of us, becoming a human being, and then dying on a cross, buried in a tomb, resurrected on the third day, and now he has ascended to God. But just because Jesus left this world does not mean that we live in a Christ-deserted world. In fact, it's the opposite. Jesus ascended to heaven, and instead of living in a Christ-deserted world, we live in a Christ-filled world because Jesus has given us his Spirit. For those of you who have been baptized in Christ, he has given you his Holy Spirit, and along with that one Spirit that we've been given, there's many gifts God has created us and wired us in a way where we all have our own unique uh, personalities and lives, but He's given us special gifts. And in verse seven, it's it's Christ who gives us these gifts. As a ministry staff, uh, we usually spend some time uh, in our weekly meetings, studying through a text together and praying together. And so, as a ministry staff, Tony, myself, Jill, Juan, who's preaching over next door. Uh, The last several times we've met, the last few times we've met, we've studied through this passage, Ephesians 4, verse 1 through 16, and Juan and I were talking this past Monday about how we try to do the best that we can when we quote a fellow staff member to give them credit. So Jill, I will give you credit for this, but Jill pointed out that she finds comfort in this passage, especially verse 7, because it's Christ who gives us the gift that we have. We don't have to compare ourselves to other people and feel like we don't measure up because the gift that you have is the gift that Christ gave to you, the gift that Christ wanted you to have. So what is that gift that you've been given? What are the spiritual gifts that Christ divvies out for all of us? Well, now we go to verse 11. And Paul says, the gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. Now, pause for a few minutes on verse 11. How many of you have read this verse before? Now, you've probably read it before. Maybe you've skimmed over it. Maybe you're familiar with it. But in this passage, Paul is listing some of the gifts, some of the spiritual gifts, or some of you may call this offices. There's five gifts listed in verse 11 some say there's four because they say pastor-teacher goes together. I'm going to go with five different spiritual gifts. Is this all the spiritual gifts there are? No. Now, if you read the rest of the New Testament, you would see, especially in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I have it referenced on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul goes talks extensively about the body of Christ and how there's different spiritual gifts. And at the beginning of chapter 12, he lists several of those spiritual gifts. And at the end of chapter 12, he lists even more spiritual gifts. And if you really wanted to study something, read through that later today or this week, and then read through chapter 13 and 14 as well to get the whole picture there. But in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul lists several spiritual gifts. And then in Romans chapter 12, verse 3 through 8, he lists different gifts. And then in Ephesians 4.11, he has these five gifts. And then I reference 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, because Peter's basically just pointing out use the gift that you've been given. So you could take 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4.11, and we have an idea of the variety of different spiritual gifts that are offered in Scripture. Some readers have counted that there's about 19 or 20 different spiritual gifts listed in Scripture. But the question is, is that all the gifts? Because in 1 Corinthians 12, in Romans 12, in Ephesians 4, 11, the lists are not identical. So it seems like what Paul's doing is just writing out some of the gifts just to give you a sampling. But the point is that Christ is the gift giver and he has given us all a spiritual gift. Now, before we talk about what may be your spiritual gift, let's go back through verse eleven and look at the five gifts that he mentions. The first one is he said he's some. The gifts that he's given are that some would be apostles. What do you think of when you think of an apostle? Think of the twelve apostles, probably. I'm assuming an apostle means one who is sent. The sent ones. Jesus had twelve apostles. Judas died. In Acts chapter 1, they felt the number 12 was important, and they needed to replace Judas. And the criteria for who would replace Judas and become an apostle was somebody who had been with Jesus and somebody who was a witness to the resurrection of Christ. So they chose Matthias. And in Scripture, we have just a few that are mentioned as apostles, the sent ones. Now because of that, because of the criteria listed in Acts chapter 1, been with Jesus, been an eyewitness to his resurrection, some commentators would say this spiritual gift was bound to die out after the first century because after that there would be no more eyewitnesses of the resurrection. Now the office, the gift, whatever you want to call it of being an apostle, their authority ran throughout all churches. We said some will be apostles, some prophets. What do you think of when you think of a prophet? Probably think of something from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we have the major prophets and the minor prophets. We think of somebody who can tell the future, a future teller, but the prophet is more than that. A prophet is somebody who speaks to the people of God on behalf of God. And A lot of times, the prophet's message was a really difficult message. And in the first century, in the early days of the church, the first generation of the church, we see that there were still prophets. So you just read through the New Testament and you see that. Now, if we stop on those first two spiritual gifts, do those spiritual gifts still exist? Are there still apostles? Are there still prophets today? Uh, There's a guy named Sam Storms who wrote a book on spiritual gifts. He's a preacher, or speaker. You've listened to some of his podcasts as I've studied spiritual gifts. And he pointed out that there's really two different camps of people when it comes to viewing spiritual gifts. The cessationists, And the continuationists, sounds like big fancy words, but here's what they mean. Cessationists are those who believe that even though God still gives spiritual gifts today, there are certain spiritual gifts that ceased, that God slowly, gradually stopped bestowing on His church at the end of the first century. So, cessationists believe that apostles, prophets, people speaking in tongues, things like that, that those spiritual gifts are no longer uh, given out by God, although there's other spiritual gifts that God gives. Now, the continuationists are those who believe that all the spiritual gifts listed in Scripture continue on in the church today. I'm not sure where you would land on that, but I imagine maybe in one of those two groups, or maybe you've never really thought about it like that. Maybe you never studied it, but you're just kind of basing it on your experience. So, studying spiritual gifts is a really important topic. And it's very intriguing. For the sake of today, though, we're focusing on Ephesians 4 and verse 11. So, we have apostles, prophets, and then he goes on to say some would be evangelists. What is an evangelist? An evangelist is somebody who goes around teaching the good news of Jesus Christ, teaching the gospel. And in the first century, evangelists, by some commentators, were considered wanderers, travelers, kind of like missionaries. They, they didn't stay in one place for long. They would go preach the gospel message, and then they would move on to the next town or the next village. That's an evangelist. And then he said some would be pastors. You can look biblically at the word pastor, and a couple years ago I did a sermon series called They Smell Like Sheep, and that was based on, as we were looking for new elders, we examined the Greek words for pastor, shepherd, elder, and it's this office or this gift of overseeing a church and shepherding the flock, ministering to them, caring for the flock. And then there's teachers, and obviously we know what a teacher is. A teacher is somebody who teaches, and in this sense, teaches the Bible, teaches God's Word. Teachers were incredibly important in the first century, and teachers were different than evangelists in the sense that teachers stayed, usually stayed permanently with one church. So, a teacher's role was to continue to teach the Word of God and disciple a church and build a church up and help that church to mature. So teachers had a very important role, especially in the first century as people were coming from paganism to Christianity and had no Jewish background. These teachers really had to do some hands-on teaching and discipling. So these are the five gifts that Paul lists in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And we know in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, there's other spiritual gifts. But my question for you, because as we read the Bible, we want to understand it and what it meant then to the original audience, but we also were looking at, what does it mean to us today? What does this mean for you and I? What does it mean for the Pine Tree Church of Christ? What is your spiritual gift? There's a guy named Steve Gladden. That's not Steve Gladden. I don't know what happened when we switched this Google Drive thing. There's supposed to be a picture of Steve Gladden's book, Small Groups on Purpose. And in this book, uh, Steve Gladden talks about your shape. He calls it your God-given shape. And finding your shape is finding your sweet spot in ministry. And the word shape he uses as an acrostic. Do you know the difference between an acronym and an acrostic? Well, let me tell you what an acrostic is. Each letter stands for something. So let's go through this. Let's examine what Steve Gladden uses as your God-given shape. It's been very helpful for me, and I, want you, I encourage you to write these down and spend some time over the next week or two thinking about this and reflecting on this in your own life. So the S stands for spiritual gifts, what we've been talking about in Ephesians 4 and verse 11 and beyond. What is your spiritual gift? If you don't know your spiritual gift, how do you discover it? And once you discover it, how do you develop it? How do you use it? I think that when we're born, we're not born with some tag that says, here's your spiritual gift as you develop it as you grow up. No, our spiritual gift, I believe, is a discovery process. It's a discernment process. I didn't know what my spiritual gift was until I was in my early 20s. And if my spiritual gift is... Teaching, preaching, I started to discover that, but I still didn't have the language to say, hey, here's my spiritual gift. I just had opportunities that were given to me to teach Bible class, to preach. And as I did that, I got more opportunities and was able to develop that and work on it. And I felt like it was within my wheelhouse. And now many years later, I'm thinking, okay, that's my spiritual gift. But what's your spiritual gift? I would, I would be interested to to hear that from you. What? you believe your spiritual gift is, or if you've ever put much thought into that. You can go online and you can find, there's several different uh, websites that you can take a spiritual gifts inventory or a spiritual gifts test. I found three websites this week and they took you know, maybe 15 or 20 minutes to go through, and basically you just answer a bunch of, a bunch of questions about yourself and how you feel in and, and different areas, and they calculate it, and they try to give you your top three or four or five spiritual gifts. So I tried it with three different websites. You could Google them, you could find them, and they're not all perfect. None of them are perfect, but it gives you an idea. There's one website called spiritualgiftstest.com. Four years ago, back in 2016, I took the test, and it gave me my top five spiritual gifts according to this website. I rediscovered that on some old notes earlier this week, so I thought, I'm going to get on there, and I'm going to take the test again. So I did. took about 20 minutes. I took the test, answered the questions, and it gave me my top five spiritual gifts, and I compared the list from 2020 to 2016, and only two of them were the same in my top five. So these websites are not completely accurate, but what it's done for me is just made me think about what my spiritual gift might be. And if spiritual gifts are important, because Paul writes about it in his letters, if spiritual gifts are important for the unity of the church, because we're a part of one body but we have many gifts, then I think it would be important enough for you and I to spend some time trying to discover what our spiritual gift would be. And if you don't know or maybe you have an idea or you're on to something, I would encourage you to write down this acrostic for the word shape and then really spend time praying and asking God what your spiritual gift is and asking God to make that clear to you and reveal that to you. And then maybe spend some time asking and talking to people that are close to you what they think your spiritual gift might be. People that you've worked with, people that you've ministered alongside at church And that will start to lead you on this discernment, discovery process of what your spiritual gift is. So finding your God-given shape, the S stands for spiritual gifts. The H stands for heart, which is basically, where is your heart and what are you passionate about? God has given us all different passions. And that's a good thing. We should learn to value and appreciate each other, even if we share different passions. If we all had the same passion then we might be able to do one thing really well, but there would be a lot of other things that are neglected. For me, for about 15 years, I've had my heart, my passion has been with homeless ministry, and that kind of developed into working with people in addiction recovery. And now that I'm a parent and a husband, family and the Christian life in the home, that's been one of my passions, spiritual formation for families, for marriages, for individuals. Those are some of my passions. What are yours? Where's your heart at? What gets you going? What gets you excited? Your spiritual gifts, your heart, and the A stands for abilities. So you can look at this and say, what do I do naturally better than others? What skills do you have? What has God, you know, through time, through training, through experience, what abilities do you have? I'll give you a quick example. A few years ago, several years ago actually, when I was working at a church in Mount Pleasant, It was a Wednesday afternoon. There was a guy that pulled into our church parking lot and came up to the door, and he said his car was broke down in our parking lot, and he wanted to know if I could help him, and I told him right away, I'm not a mechanic. I don't know much about cars. In fact, there is a chance that I could make it worse, but I'm willing to help, so I got the jumper cables. We tried to jumpstart his car. That didn't work. And he thought of a few things that he tried. I was willing to give him a ride or help him however I could, but I reminded him after we worked on this for about an hour, look, I'm not a mechanic. I'm willing to help. I just don't have the skills or the ability to help you. But it was a Wednesday afternoon, and I said, if you could just stick around for three or four more hours, this parking lot is going to be filled with guys who know a lot about cars and would be willing to help. So just stick it out, and people who are able will help you. But what are your abilities? What, like what are special skills or abilities that God has given you? And this is similar to spiritual gifts. So if my spiritual gift may be preaching and teaching and I'm able to do that, and my heart and my passion is in homeless ministry, well, one area that I've been able to serve in since I've been here in Longview is through Highway 80 Rescue Mission. I preach at the men's chapel once a month because that's an area where I can take my God-given shape and serve. And I wonder what that would be for you. The P in this acrostic stands for personality. What's your personality? Do you know yourself? Are you intuitive enough to understand yourself and your personality? Uh, I've taken the Myers-Briggs personality deal. I've done the Gallup Strength Finder. I've, the last few years, I've spent a lot of time studying the Enneagram and learning my personality Type of my number and all of those have been very helpful for self discovery, knowing myself better. And the better I know my personality, the better I'll know where I can match up and where I can serve and where I need to be serving. So, what's your personality like? Some of you are very outgoing and you can spark up a conversation with pretty much anybody. So, maybe you need to serve on the care team. And when we get back to normal someday, you'll be the person greeting people as they walk through the door and making them feel welcome because that's your personality and that's something you're gifted in. Maybe some of you are a little more shy and you don't like being around crowds because that's your personality, but you have the spiritual gift of encouragement. Maybe you use your personality and your gift, and you write messages to people to encourage them. I could go on and on about this. There's people who don't like being around crowds and are very antisocial, but you love working with your hands and serving, and you found ways to serve behind the scenes and in other areas. What's your personality? Spiritual gifts, heart, ability, personality. Do you know what the E stands for? Nobody does, so now I'm going to reveal it to you. It stands for experiences. What experiences have you had in life? We've all gone through different things. We've gone through training. A lot of us have gone through suffering. You've gone through various trials in your life. You've gone through transitions. Some of you are grandparents, and so you've raised kids, and you've had experience in that. We've had experience in different areas of suffering or whatever it may be, we've all had different experiences, and that's a part of who you are. So how do you take your experiences and use that to connect with others and to speak into their lives? So what is your God-given shape? Not only am I asking what is your spiritual gift, that's really important, but what is your shape? What is your heart? Where's your passion? What abilities do you have? What's your personality like? What experiences have you had in life? And you put this together, and according to Steve Gladden, this helps you find your sweet spot in ministry. This helps you discover where you need to serve. And it's been very helpful for me. So as I think about Ephesians 4, uh, 7 through 11, how Christ has given us these gifts And He's given some to be this, apostles, some to be evangelists, some to be prophets, some to be teachers, some to be pastors. And you look at 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, and Christ has given us all different gifts. So, as we're part of this one body, what gift do you have to offer? Then you move into verse 12 and 13, and we get the purpose of these spiritual gifts. The purpose is not so that we can wear this I'm spiritual badge, look at me, and feel prideful of yourself. The purpose of the spiritual gifts, Paul tells us in verse 12 and 13, is to equip the saints for works of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. You see, the purpose of the gifts that Christ has bestowed on each one of us uniquely, the purpose is to equip people, to align them up where they need to be, to build up the body of Christ for building and not deconstructing, but constructing, to build, to uh, equip the church, and then for unity and maturity in verse 13, which we'll talk about more next week. So what is your spiritual gift? What is your God-given shape? And as you're a part of one body, how do you use that spiritual gift to serve and to build up and to equip the church? There's a lady named Barbara Brokoff that wrote this book called The Grapes of Wrath or Grace. And she tells this really interesting story in her book about a group of American tourists who had gone to Rome, and they were traveling around Rome on this tour bus, and they had a tour guide that spoke English, and they dropped the, these group of American tourists off at this beautiful old church building. And they gave them like 30 minutes to an hour to go into this building, take pictures, examine it, have a good time, and then they had a set schedule so they are going to get back on the bus at a certain time. Well, after they got dropped off, the bus driver had to drive around the traffic, do a little loop, and then he came back, and he parked on the opposite side of the street. So when these American tourists got ready to go back to the bus, they were standing on the sidewalk, and the road was extremely busy, cars coming left and right, and their tour guide was across the street, and they said he was shouting at them, don't go alone, don't cross alone. He said, if you cross alone, if you cross one by one, they will pick you off one by one. You're going to get hit one by one. He said, cross together, everybody together. And he said, if they see this huge group of people, the cars will stop because the cars will be afraid that you're going to hurt their car. So he said, cross together, don't go alone. When I read that story, it immediately resonated with what I've been reading in Ephesians 4. That as individuals, we've all been given unique personalities and experiences and these lives that we have, these gifts, spiritual gifts that God has given us, that we were never meant to be isolated. And it's interesting saying that because for several months we probably felt isolated. But the purpose of the gifts and the uniqueness that each one of us has is to contribute it to the greater good of the church, of the one body that we're a part of. So this lesson is about challenging you to find your God-given shape. This lesson is about challenging you to find your spiritual gift and then to think about how you're using that gift to equip the church and build up the church so that we can get closer to unity and spiritual maturity. Now, this morning, and because of the season of life that we're in, some of you may feel divided. We're talking about unity. Maybe you feel a little bit divided from Christ. Maybe you feel divided from the church. Maybe you are feeling lonely. This word lonely has kind of been on my mind the last 24 hours or so. Not that I feel lonely, but I'm thinking there probably is a lot of people out there that feel lonely. And if you feel divided or you feel separated in any ways, We just want you to know, if you're in the room, we have shepherds here. Uh, Leonard will be up front. We'll have a few elders that may be around the room. You can talk with them, and they'll spend some time praying with you. Or if you're at home or you want to reach out later, feel free to reach out to our elders, to reach out to me, and let us pray for you and help you feel, instead of feeling divided, feel united with your brothers and sisters in Christ and feel united with Christ. And if you're divided from Christ, if you're away from Christ, if you're experiencing disunity from Christ and you need to repent and come back to the Lord or you want to put on Christ in baptism, we're going to offer an invitation for you today as well. I am going to ask you to stand back up and Tony's going to come back here and continue to lead us in song.